to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Filipino Chinese Annie Chang, who is based in Seattle, Washington. She's the founder of children's book publisher Ubay Books, a project that celebrates Filipino nurses in the U.S. and around the world. She talks to us about the contributions of Filipino nurses made during the pandemic and what biases she wants to break. Proudly Asian Annie, and thank you so much for dialing in all the way from Seattle. How are you doing? I am doing great, and then thank you for having me in your wonderful show. Hi, everyone. <laughs> It's a pleasure to have you, Annie. But you have a lot of identities. You wear a lot of hats. You know, as a mom, as a recent graduate、um, in nursing. You previously you were an accountant, and you're also、um, the founder of Ube Books, which is an initiative that you have started. But for those who are not familiar, what does Ube mean? Well, ube is a root crop that's founded in the Philippines, and it has a natural purple color. And then we use it a lot in our desserts.、Um, we have a dessert called ube halaya, which is steamed or like boiled ube, and then you add coconut in it and sugar, and then that becomes like a vessel to different desserts like halo-halo or ube bread. And then now they use it at ube cupcakes, but. We've had that in the Philippines for a long time, and then recently has been popular here in the U.S. And previously, when I was chatting with you, you、um, also mentioned to me that not everyone knows about ube.、Um, was it was it kind of like a surprise to you? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a surprise to me because here at the coastal city, like in California and here in Washington, ube is pretty. Popular, it has like gone traction online. But I asked my brother when I was naming、um, the children's books. I was I asked I asked my brother, and he lives in Missouri. And then he said that not everyone knows what ube is. And then that for me is pretty shocking. But also,、mm-hmm. it's, he's also in Middle America right now. And then so there's like space for people to introduce what ube is. And I think this is a good idea to like one way so people will know what ube is. Yeah, I do hope after this podcast, more people will discover the goodness of ube because I love anything that's ube. But just to, just as an introduction for our audience members,、um, could you tell us a little bit more about your background? Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up? Okay, so um, I'm a mom and then a wife, a recent nurse graduate, and one thing about me too, I'm a meningitis survivor, and so I, but you know, before that, um, I grew up in Naga City, Bicol, Philippines. It's a small city in the Philippines, and it has like a really tight knit community feel. And then I'm half Filipino, I'm half Chinese, and then I went to Chinese school for twelve years, and.、Uh, But I don't really speak Mandarin or Cantonese that well. <laughs> But I won't get lost <laughs> like enough not to get lost, which is good enough for me at this point. And then 
yeah, that's like a little bit of my background. Nice. And I mean, just if I could follow up um, more on your Chinese heritage, um, do you relate a little bit more, you know, on the mainland Chinese side or Cantonese side or what type of Chinese would it be for your family? Um, well, the Cantonese side, definitely, because um, I grew up on my dad, like, I have close relationships on my dad's side of the family. And then obviously, I went to Chinese school. Um, so I'm exposed to the Chinese culture in the Philippines. And then we have like a tight knit community that I grew up with too. Like my friends, I have the same set of friends from kindergarten to high school and we all share similar backgrounds too. I see. Mm-hmm. And um, growing up Filipino Chinese, um, is the experience slightly different from your friends who maybe grew up only in a Filipino household or during your time growing up in the Philippines, would there be like separation between like Filipino Chinese groups or like Filipino groups? Um, they were, yeah, I would, I would think so because for us, like, like for instance, um, the recent Lunar New Year for, for me, it's, it's, it has a really strong presence in my childhood. Like it was celebrated in school. It was celebrated at home. And then it's celebrated in our Filipino Chinese community. So I don't think um, like Filipino only households would share the same importance with Lunar New Year, like how I do it. That's why even after I moved, like like now that I have a son, like I like I bring that experience to him and make sure that he knows that he's part Chinese and all the traditions that we do like we give him the red envelope and then I read storybooks to him about the Chinese New Year so he knows nice nice and um, I know that nursing is your second career and you previously worked in accounting so how did that all happen like why did you decide to switch to make this career switch well so after I was working in accounting for seven eight years I reached a point that I thought it's what I wanted. Like I, I was working for a billion dollar company and I was in a pretty high visible position. And then I, I just didn't feel like a lot of millennials would say this. I just didn't feel happy with it. <laughs> I didn't feel fulfilled with it. And then I thought about, I did a lot of soul searching and then I just wanted, like I wanted to be in a space that I could make a difference in people's lives. I think that's what driven me to change careers, to change careers to healthcare or to be a nurse because I wanted to make a, I wanted to be in a space that I could make a difference, like day-to-day difference and then to make a difference in people's lives. And I think that's what driven me to shift mm-hmm. to nursing and during that process of you figuring out what exactly that you wanted to do um was it also the time that you started ube books um how did the concept um come about and and why is it important to you so ube books i started ube books last year and um i was already um I was a mom already, and then I recently graduated nursing school. And I think at some point it became like a way for me to celebrate that I was done with nursing because it took me a while to finish nursing school because I became a mom, and then that became my number one priority. And then for me, I celebrated by starting 
uh, like you know, I started. I celebrated by starting, like, to write a children's books, and it became my creative outlet, and um, it became a form of self care for me, a form of self love, and I think it's important for people to have a creative outlet, and then I think it's important because. I think it's important for my son to see himself in literature and then the culture, like what I, like, I think what's, what I'm really holding on to Ubay books is putting in the forefront the Filipino culture, which I want my son to see. And then also it became a vessel for me to serve the Filipino community and to serve the Filipino nursing community here in the U.S., in the Philippines and um, Filipinos everywhere that could relate to what I write, and then, then it's important. I think it's important for our community to know that there is something that's written for them, that's written written for us, and uh, yeah, I think that's what has driven me to do this. Yeah, I gotta say, it's it's very important for children because um, I think obviously, like growing up, even as um. Asia myself as a kid I would wonder about how how come um I don't see someone who looks like me um when I was going through children's books so um I think what you're doing is definitely very important and I mean it, it will actually um clear a lot of confusions for you know many um Asian kids who maybe grew up outside Asia as for what they are or to relate to um their own family experience but before we move on to the next section um I know that you are you, you have a lot of family members and friends who work um, as nurses in the United States. Um, is, is that true? Like, are you always surrounded by this um, nursing community? Yes. Mm-hmm. Even before I decided to do nursing, I was surrounded by people that are nurses, that are doctors, that are therapists. And then I think right. that's probably and, one of the um, reasons why I did this too. <laughs> I mean, for my partners, um, his mom is actually a nurse. And then eventually, um, I mean, Previously, I had no idea in the United States there was such a huge Filipino um, nursing community, but um, that's how I got my knowledge about, oh, actually, there are a lot of like Filipinos um, working as nurses in the US, and the work that they do um, is definitely not highlighted enough or not given credit enough. So um, I think this is why um, I also think this conversation is very important. Um, but first of all, I would like to talk a little bit about their experience in the United States, especially um, the experience during the pandemic because at the start of the pandemic um, back in 2020 um, a lot of Filipino nurses in the US worked on the front lines but also lost their lives because um, of reasons such as um, lack of protective equipment by the employers um, and in fact a study by National Nurses United found that Filipinos and Filipino Americans make up just 4% of registered nurses in the US but accounts for nearly a third of all COVID-related deaths uh, among registered nurses. So I would like to ask about your personal experience or like the experiences um, of the nurses around you. What was it like at the start of it all and uh, from what you saw happened with your family members and your friends? I think, I feel like this is such a heavy topic. It was really hard for them. And hard for me too, like watching when the pandemic was unfolding right before our eyes because I went to nursing school during the pandemic. And then I feel like 
we were at a point that we wanted to help, but at the same time, we were students. And then students were lim- like we have we started to have limited access to the hospitals at that time because there was the lack of PPEs too. So when I when I reach out to my to my friends and my family that are in the front lines and then you know like because I was scared for them because at that time in 2021 kind of like you know the whole the pandemic was kind of like you no one was expecting it and then it happened and then most of the people that I love are in are there like taking care of people that are sick so when I think the best um, I think one thing I could share is from one of my family members, and she said that it was really hard for her because she was at the COVID unit, and then because she said that she like nurses at least like nurses are trained to save lives, and we're not trained to see people die. And then at the beginning, like no one, there was limited knowledge for the treatment, and then people were just, you know, when you get COVID, you you expire. And then I think as medical professionals or as nurses and, and doctors, that's hard for us and for them to see, you know, your patients dying because that means you're not doing your job. That's how it felt at the beginning for them. Mm, I, I can imagine it must be a lot um, harder to even see maybe some of the colleagues getting ill, um, testing positive for COVID and eventually losing their lives at the very beginning because the number when I was doing the research is just um, shocking. And it's and also um, exposing also... your family to like part of the yeah. occupational hazard that you have to work and then at the same time you're exposing your family to this possible exposure for the virus. And a lot of Filipino, like Filipino families, like like there's multiple generations at home. So, like, your parents could be with you, and then we've learned that the old, like, you know, like, the older population gets sick, too. So, I think that was Mm -hmm. the part that you worry about the most, or the people that you love are in the front lines, and then even the family, the immediate family, are exposed to the virus, too. I also remember reading an interview of a bunch of Filipino nurses um, when they talked about the COVID experience and the Filipino nursing community in the United States um, is always known to be quiet, hardworking people. But in this interview that I read, um, a Filipino nurse actually said her Filipino upbringing instilled a kindness that makes her a good nurse. But she also said her American side really came out after she got sick with the coronavirus and she joined other nurses in publicly criticizing the hospital um, for having them treat COVID-19 patients in March while wearing surgical masks rather than the more effective N95 um, respirators. So 10 of her colleagues were suspended for refusing to care for those patients which um, I can also imagine at the start of it all it was very tough but they were also bearing very important responsibilities but um, after going through this initial I mean I'm not sure if they would consider that as some sort of trauma but how are your friends and family coping after collectively going through this experience Um, overall I think like everyone else, they're tired. 
they're burnt out. Um, some of them are leaving the bedside. And these are both from my Filipino, um, from the Filipino nurses and then the non-Filipino nurses too. I think collectively the healthcare community is just tired and, um, yeah, it's, they're burnt out and tired. And I think overall it shows that, like for me, at least I feel like as a society, I think our job is to protect our healers too, because if the medical system is down, if the medical system starts falling apart, it really just affects us as well, because then who will take care of us when we're sick? So I think absolutely. Mm -hmm. And when you were in nursing school, were there any trainings or any um, education that highlights um, uh, um, how will uh, maybe new RNs be supporting? Um, um, the systems, were, were there any talks related to this? I think for us, um, for us nursing students in the pandemic, I think the pandemic forced us to think like a nurse immediately, even before we were ready. Um, I think for us, it was just always being careful. Like we have to always treat the patient like always think about patient safety because that's our number one goal. And then, yeah, we always have to wear a mask. And then for us, it's like not a big deal for me to wear double mask, triple mask at that time. And then I, before I walk in, I'm used to wearing the goggles, like our goggles. And then just for safety too, like for our safety and for patient safety, because we are taking care of people that are, that are sick already. And then, we walk into like one room to the other so hygiene is very very important so we have to wash our hands going in and out all the time and then we have to gel in and gel out and then so hygiene has been highlighted so much because you don't want to spread anything else for your patients but um moving on i'm just wondering if there are you know since there's a huge filipino nursing community in the united states i'm wondering if there are also any stereotypes against filipino nurses what are some of the common biases against them that you could think of the common biases i think some people would say that one hard thing about being a Filipino, like a bias that I don't think is true, is like Filipino nurses are quiet and they just take the workload. So a lot of the Filipino, like I think a lot of us get less desirable shifts, like could get the, the weekend shifts or the night shifts. And I think I think people just take that. I think if you're an immigrant, you just take the the shift that would give you more, um, like that would pay you more, basically. So I think that's one hard thing about being, you know, like if you're an immigrant because you get the less desirable shifts. Um, but I've also heard for the older generation of um, Filipino nurses where, you know, now they are moms or grandmas, like um, it was quite common for them to also work two jobs. Normally, I think how it works is it like a 12-hour shift, but three days a week, which allows them to work two jobs. Is it also common among um, your family members and friends? Yes, it is. Um, so I think it's common to have like a full shift and a half 
or sometimes like right now I know I have friends and family that take two jobs too and that's a common knowledge for me too that's why I didn't even think about it but yeah that's true so it's it's a hard job because like a shift is 12 hours and then you work five days of those or six days of those and I think that takes a toll on your body too but yeah we have a there's a nursing nursing shortage and Filipinos are here to fill that labor force. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, just a follow-up question on that. Um, Is it just uh, maybe Asian nurses or Filipino nurses who do two jobs or is it actually a common thing for the entire U.S. nursing profession? As far as I know, only like right now, because there's a nursing shortage, I think nursing as a whole, they're starting to take more shifts. But also, I think there's there's also I think nurses are just tired right now too. We're burnt out, mm. so a lot of nurses are leaving the bedside, and I think mm. this opens more opportunity for um Filipino immigrants to fill in the gap once again, which is kind of like a band aid for a crippling help like a crippling healthcare system in the U.S. So. Yeah, I mean in 2020 it was kind of like an all hands on deck situation and now the situation is just like new supplies of nurses can't come sooner so which brings me to ask um the next question um obviously there's a there's still a sentiment in the u.s where filipino nurses are seen as people who moved to the u.s to steal americans jobs um which is far from the reality um do filipino nurses still feel that way that they are seen that way these days um and how how do you feel about this um i think for this um i think i see it in both ends because i grew up in the philippines and i always knew that nursing is a pathway to get to america and it's a common pathway for a lot of filipinos to do that but also coming here and then studying in an American school, I could see that like that whole cycle is like a part of the broken system. It's a broken healthcare system that like the Filipinos like that we put a band aid on. And um I don't I've always just seen that if there's a job then you take it. And um, I don't really see that Filipinos steal the jobs. I mean it's what it's it is what it is there's people here that would fill in that gap then fill the gap but if there's nothing then that's why we get to hire from other places yeah and i'm I'm pretty sure the u.s is all about you know supply and demand when there's demand um it requires supplies because um i mean the history of filipino nurses um goes way back because um the oldest of the Filipino nurses working today um came after the US liberalized um its immigration laws in 1965 um but to understand how the Philippines became the top exporter of nurses to the US means looking back more than a century when it um became a US territory after the Spanish American War um of 1898 and during a period that lasted until the end of World War II Americans took their system 
system of educating nurses to the Philippines, which also served as a pretext um, that helped politicians to justify the American annexation of the Philippines in 1898, um, when the nursing shortages hit the U.S. after World War II. Um, like you mentioned, Filipino nurses came to work um, the jobs that Americans wouldn't through an exchange program, and many of them actually worked in underserved areas to alleviate nursing shortages, such as the inner city um, and public hospitals, and were critical during other health crises, like during the AIDS epidemic. So, um, like you mentioned, um, they are all trying to fill that gap, and um, they they won't come if there wasn't a gap at all. Back to talking about the challenges. Have you heard any stories? Related to any difficulties with colleagues or patients um, among your friends and family members, just because of the ethnicity or just because they are Filipinos. Um, sometimes because um, like for us, like we get, like we get comfortable with each other, so we start talking in our language, and I think patients don't like that. And then I've seen side eyes from patients that would. Like they disagree when we start talking amongst each other, and we start laughing, and then they're not part of that. I guess because they don't understand. But at the same time, for us, because there's like a strong com- com- like strong camaraderie, like when you work amongst like Fili- like a Filipino staff, and um, I think other people don't like that. Because mm. it becomes like an R group and then the Venom group. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can definitely see both sides because, you know, from the patient's point of view, they would be like, oh, are they talking about me or are they talking about, you know, something that's related to my health situation that I should know about? But at the same time, I mean, Nurses are only people. Like they, they. I mean, they are only human. They, they need to have a bit of um fun. When even when they are working, they are not all robots. So I think I do understand. You know, at work, I, I chit chat with my colleagues as well, and and those are not strictly related to work. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I could. I mean, see it's not related signs. to work. And sometimes yeah. we're just like talking to each other. Like, can you reach for the pen? And then yeah, someone would say, can we all just speak English here right now? And then I think <laughs> I think that's true from like any group that would have a second language. And I think yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I I mean, I understand some people might be like, oh, um, when people around them are speaking in a language that they're not familiar mm-hmm. with, they would start wondering, oh, um, are they talking bad stuff about me? I mean, because I I do wonder about that too. Yeah. If, if um someone is speaking a language that I don't understand around me, mm-hmm. but I think most of the time they're just talking about how oh the weather is hot. Um, I'm yeah. hungry. <laughs> it's really just um like a casual conversation that you just kind of you know to make your day go by faster too. But at the same exactly. time, um. Yeah, I've heard like comments from non-Filipinos that that just seems like that was kind of mean, and yeah, um, yeah. and then we understand what they're saying, <laughs> and then but <laughs> I'm just like, okay. Yeah, I, I must point out this is this is some sort of um experience that most Asians um you know go through as well because mm-hmm. um I mean. Honestly, like if it's a white person coming out to to you know speak in a language that's not English, I don't think anyone would right. really complain. Um, but when it's like a bunch of Asians or when Asian does something, even like let's say Asian eating a fried chicken, there would still be someone saying like, "Oh, 
an Asian e- eating fried chicken. I mean, yeah, that's common yeah, thing, but right. somehow it becomes yeah. criticism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're so yeah, you're very right. I think that was it. Um, yeah, I think the fact that we were like you know we were Asians and then we were speaking a different language that you know they didn't understand. I think they that's when all the negative they they start receiving it negatively. But at the end of the day, like what you said, it's, you know, we're just people like nurses, like, like we're people. And then we're here to like, like nursing is a very personal job. Like we're here to serve like a certain population. And then, you know, like we we're here for the patient and we're here to take care of you. And sometimes we have small, like we have small talks that we, we use, you know, like we use our language and then like they, they, it gets received negatively and it's, it's almost like walking on eggshells sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But despite the challenges, what are the great things about working as a Filipino nurse in the United States? Um, I do feel that from um, our chat just now, there's a strong sense of community. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what is keeping you guys in the job? Uh, um, for me, it's the, like, the strong sense of community. Like, I feel like you already, you walk in and I think that, I feel like I have a network already and then people would help you if you want to have to work in a certain unit or, you know, if you're interested to work in a certain um, company, I think you would, there would be that camaraderie there. And then when I was doing my, my clinical rotation, I really enjoyed connecting to fellow Filipinos and I could like, comfortably, I mean, I could do it regardless if it's, um, if it's Filipino or non-Filipino, but I did really enjoy talking to my fellow Filipino nurses. And then I think we, it becomes like your support system too. And then you have your potlucks and then you, you get to enjoy, you talk about like your home, like where you grew up. And I think that's, you know, it's very enjoyable to have that kind of community. That sounds nice. It's always it always feels like let's say when whenever you're having any difficulties um in your personal lives, they're there to support you. Mm-hmm. They're there to back you up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's always nice to have you know mm-hmm. a community or a network of people that you can count on. But here's a a more personal question for you, Annie. With over obviously with a long history of Filipino nurses being present in the United States. A lot of Filipino nurses have also helped cultivate a new crop of second and third generation nurses um, like you grew up with, you know, family members who who are nurses. For you personally, what do you hope to achieve as a nurse? Um, I think for me as a nurse, I would want to have, I think this is based from my own experience recently because I was really sick a couple of years ago. I think I mentioned to you I, I was I was recovering from meningitis and then I think for me as a nurse what I want to achieve is to create a space for people that have experienced medical trauma or any health traumas like to have a space where they could talk and recover psychologically and mentally because I think for me after I was cleared as medically that I was medically okay I was basically sent home and then everything else, like all the after effects of my meningitis experience, it was up to me. Like I have to like heal myself mentally. And I feel like there was, there's also a shortage for, you know, people that would heal you in, 
your emotions and then how you handle the mental trauma of what you go through. So I think as a nurse, that's the space that I want to be in. Yeah, yeah. So your your passion lies more in the mental health or mental wellness space. Yes, mm-hmm. like mental health, public health, and women's health are my core passion. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I mean, I, I would also like to take this opportunity to thank all the healthcare workers around the world um, for giving their all to take care of COVID patients during the pandemic, and especially um, Asian healthcare workers who continued to serve their communities um, despite the ongoing hate and violence against Asians. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for your work, um, mm-hmm. for your colleagues' work, for your um, classmates' work. I-, I know you guys are in the job driven by passion, but those are some really tough situations to be facing. Next up, I would like to talk about um, another topic of yourself, um, being a mom. Um, I know that you are a mom of a five-year-old boy, and you made the conscious decision to become a stay-at-home mom after you had him um, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So how has the journey been for you? It has been up and down. And then, but, you know, as a new mom, like five years ago, there was a steep learning curve on how to adjust to be, become a mother because all of a sudden you're not thinking about yourself anymore. And then I think it's true that a lot of new moms experience that all your dreams or your your career goals, they really go in the back burner because at least for me, I wanted to become present for my son because he's you know, he's the most important thing in my life. And right now, it's um with the pandemic, I think at least for our generation of parents, um, we could say that we've been parenting in the pandemic and has put a lot of um, stress for yeah. parents, for the marriage. And then it's it's been it's been tough. But right now, I think we're at the end of it. Not not at the end of it, but at least now, like my son, he's five and he's fully vaccinated. So he is, um, he is right now going to kindergarten, and that's been oh. great. And uh, he's been thriving. It's only been three days, but <laughs> I can see a difference. <laughs> I can see a nice. difference for him. And then he's, you know, he's having fun. But, yeah, I mean. I did hear from a lot of my friends, that's a whole new generation of, you know, parenting while trying to stay married, uh, while trying to also maintain a bit of social life for your own kid, despite everything takes place mm-hmm. virtually. Because um, yeah. I did read some studies about how um, it, it did take a toll on, you know, kids' overall mental well-being for not being able to be in touch with, you know, people and mm-hmm. friends. Yes, uh, I know that it, it also wasn't an easy journey for yourself when you're trying to have um, your boy. So in terms of your pregnancy journey, um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? So I was diagnosed with PCOS in my early 20s. So when I wanted to, when my husband and I, when we decided that we wanted to have a child, I knew coming in that it was going to be a hard road. So it took us Mm. like a year a year and a half to successfully get pregnant and then um and it was a lot of 
it was like at that moment when I was trying to get pregnant naturally and I couldn't. It was a lot of um, you feel that your body is almost not doing what it's supposed to do. So you go through a lot of pressure for yourself um, to just create the baby. And then you can't even create the baby. And then also, I also like to look at the fun, funny side that I always think about before. I always think about I was I might get pregnant right now, but no. <laughs> now that I want to get pregnant, I'm not getting pregnant. <laughs> um, so it's um, yeah. So it was it was hard, but you know, with with science right now, it gives people like me the chance to become a mother too. And um, that's why I'm very, very thankful for people in the fertility road. I think they're doing amazing jobs, like giving women like me a chance to become mothers too. And it's, mm. and I think that's what drive at the beginning, at the very beginning, this what drove me to become a nurse as well, to be in this space, mm. to give women that are um, not able to naturally give birth a chance to become mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I do think it's a very um, important topic um, to talk about. And I'm I'm not sure if it's because um, you know because we live in a different age or because of social media, because of YouTube. But there seems to be a lot of people um, who who start sharing their infertility journey, and in a way that is normalizing the conversation. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure um, in Asian culture or in Chinese culture, like back in the day, like infertility was you know some sort of taboo. Like you don't talk about that. Like your like curse. Chinese, yeah. So like some Chinese families might even consider infertility. Um, you know, of their daughters-in-law or of mm-hmm. their daughters to be a disgrace. So, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, clearly a lot of people are going through that and I'm glad that we are in the process of normalizing the conversation. Yeah. But, um, you went through that. Um, I just want to know, what would be your advice um, for couples and families who are going through infertility? Um, from your perspective, how do you think women should be supported through that journey? I think this one is very, um, it really depends on the woman because I feel like five years ago or six years ago, when I was going through my fertility sessions, I definitely did not want to talk about it. But this was also a long, long time ago already. Like, I feel like before there was a very different narrative. Like, no one talked about PCOS when I was diagnosed with PCOS. Like, right now, I feel like there's so much support groups now that it becomes like I'm right now here talking to you and it just feels like having a normal conversation about how to get pregnant if you can't get pregnant. So I think I think for this one, the advice that I could give on how to support women is to just, um, like I think to know the person first and I think it's sometimes it's better not to ask women when they're going to get pregnant because a lot of like if you're in it it's very hard to talk about it I think for me but you know like what you said other women are very open to talk about it but for someone like me I think I like to keep it for myself and then people asking me oh like when are you gonna have your second baby I'm like I don't know when I'm gonna have my second baby um I want to have another baby, but 
I'm completely happy with my one right now. If I'm blessed to have another one, then, you know, it's good. But, yeah, I think it, this one is really depends on how the woman is in the relationship to the woman, right? It's better not to ask. For sure, yeah. Um, definitely. Sometimes, I think maybe sometimes like asking once or twice um, mm-hmm. is is okay. It's like a casual chat, but then yeah. I do know some people tend to get quite persistent about like, so when are you going to have a baby? Mm-hmm. When's the baby arriving? Yeah. That, when That's when it gets a bit annoying. <laughs> yeah, it does. And it gets a little bit, um, it's really hard. I think it's hard to talk about, like what I said earlier, when when you feel that your body is not doing what it's supposed to do, I think that's where that's where it gets really hard. You really want that baby and then you can't do anything about like it's hard like it just doesn't come naturally. I think that's where it's a little bit hard to process as a woman. Yeah. I mean obviously I have not um gone through that journey and I have so much respect for um any women who just had to go through that. But um I guess if I could um say anything that could make um anyone going through this journey feel a little bit better, I do feel that um your body knows what you need or mm-hmm. don't need best. And if something doesn't happen, maybe it just means it's not the right time mm-hmm. for it to happen. And um it and things will come through when the time is right. And I hope that it will help someone who's going through this um, to feel a little bit better about themselves. Like they are just getting ready for mm-hmm. what's to come. Um, but I mean, since you, you, I mean, now you're a nursing graduate and you will begin working as a full-time nurse soon. Um, how do you plan on navigating being a mom while working full-time? Um, I think for this one, it's having a really supportive husband helps me to chase after my goals outside of being a mom. I think it's very stressful because being a mom is already a full-time job. And for me, it's the most important job that I will ever play in in my life. Like, there's no other job that I care about the most than being a mom. And, you know, like... When the time comes that I become, like, when I start working as a nurse, then I, to navigate that, it, you really need to have a good support system, have good family around you that would help you, um, have a support. If you're lucky to have a supportive husband, it, that's really the key to have, to have it all at the same time. I think that's the challenge for us, like, modern women right now, that I think I'm, I think because of what happened to me in recent years, I think it gave me a clear picture what I what's really important for me, and that's becoming a mother. But by the time that you know I become a like you know when I start working as a nurse, then I I know that my husband would be supporting me in anything that I will be pursuing, and that will be my. Like, I'm very blessed to have my husband with me. Kudos <laughs> very, to the husband. Yeah. Yay. It's a very supportive <laughs> husband that with his support there's another amazing nurse um in the US nursing community, you know, working full time, supporting patients. Yes. And supporting the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Have a uh, have amazing. a good support system. That's how <laughs> any woman would navigate anything 
if you have that in you, it could be anything. It could be a support system from your family, a support system from your friends. If you have that, then you could conquer the world. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah, and it's time now for us to move on to Rapid Bias. In this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions that they have got asked at some point in life and also some common biased questions Asians get asked a lot as well. So, Annie, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, first question. Filipino food is weird. It's not in your weird. And you are Chinese, so you're not Filipino then? I am Filipino because I... With my mouth, and I use my eyes to point, and that is the most Filipino thing you could ever do. <laughs> and you are not dark enough to be Filipino, Annie. Um, Filipinos, we come in different shades, and we're all beautiful. And how do you speak English so well? It is actually not uncommon for Filipinos to speak multiple languages. Um, we speak English, we speak Tagalog. And we speak a dialect, so that right there, you know three languages. And then if you could speak Spanish and Mandarin, then good for you, man. <laughs> and did you come to the U.S. with a fiancé visa? No, I didn't. For, for those who did, good for you. <laughs> and I don't want to be treated by a Filipino nurse. Uh, who hurt you and it is your loss. <laughs> Thank you so much for playing this round of Rapid Bias, Annie. <laughs> And now to wrap up the conversation, as this season of Proudly Asian is an IWD special for International Women's Day, and this year's IWD theme is Break the Bias. Annie, what biases do you want to break and how do you think they can be broken? Um, so when I moved here back in 2007, apparently here in America or outside of Asia, there's a narrative that Asian women are submissive and they're docile and i think this is the most not truest thing in the world i think asian women are strong and we're opinionated and we're empowered and um i don't know where this like narrative came and i I don't like it and a lot of people think that because sometimes you know like even for me sometimes i walk in a room i don't immediately talk i'm quiet sometimes but it's not because i'm submissive like it's because i'm observing people and how i could like connect to people but yeah like a lot of us like don't assume our quietness to be a form of being submissive yeah that's definitely true and a lot of the times like i mean there there are studies about that and it's not just asian women it's just women themselves Mm -hmm. tend to read the room or or trying to gather as much information before they make a response rather than just you know um walk into the room and try to dominate conversations Mm -hmm. and i mean Mm -hmm. that's not considered an act of intelligence by Mm -hmm. uh, most women so definitely um i agree with you and finally what does it mean to be proudly filipino chinese to you for me being filipino chinese is always putting your family first and keeping your values close to your heart and knowing your culture that's what it means to me beautiful thank you so much annie for joining the conversation on proudly asian thank you for having me i really enjoyed talking to you (laughs) 
That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. Signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong. <laughs>